Hey, good morning. Welcome to Westridge. Once again, my name is Jeremiah. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's awesome to have you with us. I want to say hello to those of you who are watching our online campus and uh, our parent viewing rooms. That's a great option if you do have small children you prefer to keep with you during the service. And uh, a couple of quick things before we jump into the talk this morning, uh, I want to let you know that uh, the welcome party that's next week, uh, that's just a simple way for us to get some FaceTime with you. We have no agenda other than just to get to know you better. So if you've been attending recently, anytime in the last, you know, this year, and we haven't had a chance to meet, uh, we'd love for you to come to that. Uh, also, if we've never met in person and you've been attending for any length of time, I would love to just say hi to you and get, connect a name and a face. So I'm going to be hanging out in the lobby right after service. I'd love for you to come say hi. Uh, the other thing I want to make you aware of is we do this uh, thing once a year. Uh, what you may not be aware of is um, every, every time that you give, anybody gives any mo- amount of money to Westbridge Church, uh, the church is 100% supported by people who are a part of the church and, and give out of what God's entrusted to them. And so you hear us say this uh, really uh, every weekend. Uh, this is a at the end of the service, an opportunity that we have to uh, bring back as a part of our worship a percentage of what God's entrusted to us financially. And we want you to know that as a church, we do the same thing. So uh, whatever comes in every single month, we actually take 10% of that off the top and we give that away to partners that are doing great things for God's kingdom around the world. And so we have global partners that we partner with every single month. And uh, it's just one of the ways that we go, look, we don't just want to teach this. We want to model this in how we, in how we live. Uh, but the outside of that, we, we call that our, our legacy project. Uh, and outside of that, we do something once a year called our legacy offering. And what that is, is a way to say, uh, man, above and beyond what we normally give and the normal support that we give, what if, what if we could create this whole other bucket where we could just fund a lot of cool other ministries uh, that are both local and uh, support things here in our community? And so that's our legacy offering. We do that once a year. It's coming up in November, uh, November 20th. We're going to be receiving our legacy offering. And this is a way for us to say, above and beyond what we normally do, this kind of one-time, uh, you know, kind of big picture thing, what if all of us took a little bit of extra and gave towards that? And then we took that whole bucket and we gave 100% of that away. And so that's what we've been doing for the last few years. And the reason we call it Legacy Project is because uh, when we moved into this building, when we first built the building, we decided, you know what, it, the story of Westbridge Church can't be, that's the place that built that building in St. Michael in 2019. Like, that's, that can't be the story. The story has to be about the ripple effects and, and, and how we do something for God's kingdom that outlives our lives. And so uh, for the last few years, we've been doing this. And uh, man, it's just been amazing. We've given hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars away just in the last few years. And uh, it's because of your incredible generosity. And so I just want to put that on your radar. That's coming up in November, November 20th. We're going to receive our legacy offering. And uh, whatever comes in for that legacy offering, we give 100% of that away to ministries locally and globally that are doing incredible things. So uh, just keep that in mind. Be praying about what uh, God would have you to give during that. Now, uh, today we're going to jump into, uh, this is kind of part four of a series that we're doing called Faith Forward. And if you've missed any of the previous weeks, I'd encourage you to go and check those out online. But basically, we're walking through this, uh, this first century document. It was written by James, the brother of Jesus. And he's writing to uh, followers of Jesus who are spread across the Roman Empire due to persecution from the Jewish religious leaders. And they're Jewish, mainly Jewish followers of Jesus. They're living out the way of Jesus across the Roman Empire. And James is writing to them. He pulls a little bit from Jesus. He pulls a little bit from Proverbs. And he's giving them this practical wisdom about what it looks like to live out the way of Jesus in their context. And I was thinking about that this week, and uh, one of the things that I I read this week, I came across the story of a guy named Victor Lustig. Victor was a guy who was born in 1890 in uh, Europe, 
and uh, lived through the early 1900s, and he was one of the greatest con artists of all time. In fact, uh, one of his uh, cons was that he built this box, and he, told, he, he would find wealthy investors, and he told them that he could, he could double their money by printing $100 bills. And so he had this box that he had made, and, and it had like uh, uh, all these like gears and like this brass handles and these dials, and it looked really complex. And he said, if you put a $100 bill into this box and you work it, after a few hours, it'll actually give you a second $100 bill. You'll, you'll, it'll spit out your original and a second $100 bill. And he goes, and then you could just do this over and over and over again. It's this incredible machine that I created that uh, will just duplicate $100 bills. And people were like, we'll pay any amount for this. And so he would, he would charge thousands and thousands of dollars for this box. And he would sit there with them for the first few hours and, and talk them through it. And then they would put in a $100 bill. And then he'd work the cranks and all the dials. And all of a sudden, $200 bills would come out, their original and a second one. And people were just like, I, I got to have this. He goes, you can just keep reproducing these things. What they didn't know is he had actually just put another $100 bill inside the box to begin with. And so when they cranked it out, it just spit out a second $100 bill that he had already stuck inside the box. And just to make sure that he had time to get away, he actually would seed it with like three or $400 bills. So it would work for them three or four times. So they would try it again. They'd get all excited. They'd try it again. By the time they discovered what was happening, he was long gone. And he sold this box over and over and over and over and over again. Uh, then he had this other one, probably his most famous con was um, he convinced a bunch of contractors in Paris that he worked for the city of Paris, that he was one of the government officials, and that the Eiffel Tower had become an eyesore and unmanageable, and they wanted to take it down. And so he offered to sell it for scrap metal uh, to these contractors, and one of the contractors purchased the Eiffel Tower from him for like $35,000, which is an unheard of you know, amount in the early 1900s. And so just turned over $35,000, purchased the Eiffel Tower, and by the time he found out what was going on, uh, Lustig was long gone. Can you imagine selling the Eiffel Tower? Unbelievable. And this guy was just an incredible con artist. And so uh, we live in a world, I say that, uh, I tell you that story because we live in a world where almost anything that exists can be faked or counterfeited. You think about what's going on in technology now and, and the world of deep fake and how you can just really fake anybody's voice and anybody's face. It's, it's kind of scary stuff. And you can fake designer clothes. Uh, you can have uh, fake leather and fake fur. Uh, you can carry a fake purse. You can have fake jewelry and fake watches. Uh, you can actually uh, fake paintings in your house, hang fake, fake paintings. Uh, in fact, there's a whole site dedicated to um, reps, which if you don't know the term reps is short for replicas, which is basically fake Air Jordans. And because Air Jordans, the, the, the secondary shoe market is crazy this is when it comes to Air Jordans. If you've never uh, gone on and looked for Air Jordans, they range anywhere from 250 to 750 to 2200 bucks for certain Air Jordans and people are collectors. And so now there's a site where you can go and you can buy replica Air Jordans. They're exactly the same. You cannot tell the difference, but they're fakes. Much cheaper. And you can fake so much. If you want to, you can change your body with fake nails. You can get fake teeth, uh, fake hair, fake body parts. You can get a fake tan. Uh, you can go and put fake sugar in your coffee. Uh, you can go online and create a fake identity, which I would encourage you not to do, but you can do it. 
And you can, you can fake so much. Life is filled with all types of fakes and imposters and scams and counterfeits. And throughout this letter, James makes this argument that it's very possible for us as human beings that we have this propensity to develop a fake counterfeit faith as well. There, there is a way to do it. In fact, here's a couple of questions that James asked just to get us thinking. In James chapter 2, he says this, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Can that kind of faith make a difference? He says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you attend church services and watch online and you read your Bible regularly and you pray before meals and you post scripture references on your Instagram account, but, you know, it doesn't actually impact the way that you spend your time, the way that you prioritize your time or the way that you manage your resources or the way that you treat other people, the way that you treat your spouse or your kids or your neighbors or your coworkers. Is, is that kind of faith doing anything to lead you to become more like Jesus? And, and I need to clarify something here because sometimes when we hear these verses in James, it feels like there's a contradiction because uh, there's another guy in the, in the first century follower of Jesus, the Apostle Paul, who would write things like, You're, we're saved by grace. And it's all God's grace. And now James comes along and he goes, yeah, but also good works matter. And so you're like, all right, what's the contradiction here? Paul seems to say, it's grace, we don't have to do anything to come to Jesus. James seems to come along and say, yeah, but you've got to have good works in order to have faith. And so you're like, all right, well, which is it? What's the deal here, Jimmy? Like, clarify things. And so here's what James, I think, is saying. He's saying this, my behavior is a reflection of authentic faith. The way that I behave is a reflection of what my faith is actually doing. And James is actually restating in a bit of a different way something that his brother Jesus had taught. And remember, James is the brother of Jesus. And so the point that Jesus at one point makes is that, uh, and James seems to affirm this, is that what's happening externally is a reflection of something that's going on internally. That you can, you can definitely tell what's happening inside of someone based on what you're seeing happen externally. Here's how Jesus said it. He said it a little different. He said, you can identify them by their fruit. That is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. Jesus just says, look, you, you can tell what kind of a tree it is based on the fruit that's growing. Now, we moved into uh, a different house four years ago. When we first moved in, we have this tree and we have, you know, all these trees in the backyard and one of them is an apple tree. Didn't know that. In fact, when we first moved in, I didn't know it was an apple tree. And the only reason, like if you would have said, hey, see that tree there? That's an apple tree. I would have been like, no way. That's not an apple tree. And the only reason I know it's an apple tree is because the next spring, it grew apples. And they were all over my yard. And we just have one apple tree. It's not indigenous to the area. There's just this one apple tree in the midst of all these other trees. But it grows apples. Now, if you, you could look at that tree and try to convince me that that's an orange tree, and I'd be like, you're crazy. That's clearly an apple tree because of the apples growing. In fact, if the tree could speak itself and it said, hey, ignore these apples hanging off of my branches. I'm an orange tree. I still wouldn't believe it because I can see the apples. It's an apple tree, right? And the fruit is simply an external reflection of what is taking place internally. And this is what Jesus is saying. And James just says it another way. If there's a real fire, there's probably going to be smoke. If in your heart you have put your trust in Jesus, if in your heart you've decided, I'm going to, I'm going to trust in Jesus, in, in, the, in the grace that he offers freely, in the salvation that he offers freely, 
I'm going to put my trust in that, then he says at some point it ought to make a difference externally in the way that you live your life, in your actions, in your behavior. And so the message is never this. The message is never, hey, change your behavior, and then you can come to Jesus. That's never the message. The message is always, once you truly say yes to the, the free grace and the free salvation and the free relationship that Jesus offers, then somewhere along the way, you get this brand new identity. Once you recognize God's given you this new identity and you put your trust in Jesus and his way of living, it ought to start showing up in your behavior. That's why we celebrate water baptism. That's why we have a worship night coming up in a couple of weeks. And I'd encourage you, if you haven't been baptized in water, I would encourage you to take that next step and follow Jesus' example in water baptism. And here's why. It signifies I have a brand new identity. I've been born into God's family. There's something new that's taken place in me. This isn't something I've earned. It isn't something I've done to to change to make myself better. But I've been given adoption into a brand new family. And so the the old me is buried in in a watery grave, the Apostle Paul says. And then I rise to new life with a brand new identity. I'm a whole new person. And we get to celebrate that together. So again, I, I just would encourage you, if you haven't been baptized in water, what a great next step. And we want to celebrate that with you. But this is what that's about. It's not about saying, okay, I've, I've now, I've gotten rid of all the sin in my life. I, I, don't, I don't make any poor decisions anymore. So I'm going to come up out of the water. And uh, now I'm Jesus Jr. So give me my wings and my halo and my cloud and my harp. It's not that. It's no, because of everything that Jesus has done, I've been given a brand new identity. And we celebrate that together. In fact, a few verses later, James would challenge us with this. He would say this, you say you have faith for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? What he's saying here is the point that James wants us to see is throughout this entire letter as he's talking about authentic faith, saying yes to Jesus, saying yes to his way of living is I trust him. And at some point, that, that ought to impact the way that we live our lives. But here's what James says. Faith is not just an acknowledgement that God exists. In fact, he uses a little bit of exaggeration and a little bit of hyperbole, kind of this little bit of a, a phrase that's a, kind of a shock factor for the readers. He goes, yeah, demons believe that. Do you, do you think that demons have a growing, authentic faith in Jesus? No, he says it's just an acknowledgement of God's existence. And this is kind of the temptation for us is to go, well, faith simply means that I believe that God exists. If I acknowledge that God exists, that must be faith. When we talk about faith purely in transactional terms, that, okay, I believe that God exists, that's, that's what faith is. But authentic faith is not just a belief in the existence of God. Authentic faith is saying, God, it's relational. I trust you enough to do what you say. I trust you enough to do what you say. And James wants to point out a subtle deception that we experience when we acknowledge the existence of God, but we don't actually live our lives the way he asks us to live them. There's this, there's this thing that's, that takes place. And, and here's why this matters. The fruit of authentic faith is obedience. When we talk about, okay, I can tell what kind of, uh, what kind of a tree it is based on the fruit. A, a Jesus follower, the Jesus fruit that grows from that, looks like obedience. In fact, Jesus would say, if you love me, obey my commandments. And the reason that James hammers this point home is because it's very easy to say that you have faith. It's very easy for us to quote Bible verses and have a knowledge of God and his way of living, but not actually follow through with his way of living. And James says this is sort of this subtle form of deception. We're able to fool ourselves 
We're able to trick ourselves into believing that our faith is active and mature because, you know, I've read some Bible verses. You know, I, I, I know some things. I can quote some verses from the Bible or, uh, you know, I believe that God exists. I acknowledge that he exists. Uh, uh, so therefore, that's faith. And, and James wants to remind us real faith is more than what I just say or what I profess to believe or just things that I feel. Because anybody can wear the t-shirt that says, Jesus is my homeboy. Right? Anybody can, can say, God bless you to someone. Anyone can quote the Lord's Prayer or the Apostles' Creed. Anybody can wear a cross necklace around their neck. But the point James is making is authentic faith means I trust God enough to do what he asks me to do. And so here's what he says. Here's his instructions for us. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. Now, that's kind of this silly illustration that he uses, but he says it's like, it's like you look in the mirror, you walk away, and, you, and you, you totally forget what you look like. There's a big difference between hearing and doing. There's a, there's a really big difference between reading the scriptures and obeying the scriptures. There's a really big difference between information and application. There's a big difference between a faith that acknowledges the existence of God and a faith that says, God, I'll do what you ask me to do. And it just, it's never simply about what you believe that makes the difference in your life. It is about what you do with what you believe. And unfortunately, what happens is we are able to trick ourselves, myself included, when we go, oh, I have, uh, I have an awareness of what God wants me to do, and just the awareness alone, if I, if I hear the word, but I don't actually put it into practice, James says, you trick yourself. You deceive yourself. You're fooling yourself. And unfortunately, we have followers of Jesus who are educated. They have a lot of knowledge far beyond their level of obedience. And James is making the argument, if you truly have a trust in God, you will follow through on what he asks you to do. Now, it seems like in the United States of America in the 21st century, we've sort of equated Bible knowledge with spiritual maturity. And the message that kind of comes through is, hey, the more you know, the more you grow. Thank you, NBC. But that's not always the case, is it? It doesn't mean that the more you know, the more you grow. That's not necessarily true. You can know a lot, and it doesn't necessarily make your faith any stronger. It just means you're well-educated or you're well-read. That's all it means. And if the litmus test of faith is that you can read the Bible, that you can quote the scriptures, that you've memorized some Bible verses, that you, that you know the Bible, that you've read a lot about the Bible, if that's the litmus test, then anybody who was born before the invention of the printing press was not a very good follower of Jesus because they didn't have the Bible. They weren't able to read it. They weren't able to, to digest it for themselves. In fact, sometimes in church world, there's kind of this language of like, uh, well, you, you have to be a self-feeding Christian, right? So, which means I just have to, it's just me and the Bible and God, you have to speak to me. And I, I can't think of anything that's further from the truth. That, that's the whole reason we have the body of Christ, because we learn from each other. We help each other. We, we, we invest in small groups and we come together and we hear a message and then we figure out how do I apply this? In fact, it would mean this. If, if Bible knowledge is the way to spiritual maturity, then anybody who has a, a learning disability, anybody who's dyslexic, anybody who has a hard time reading, well, you're not, you can never be a very good follower of Jesus because you've got to feed yourself from the... In fact, I'll just say this at the risk of sounding sexist. Most men don't read nearly as much as women. 
Like, that's so stereotypical. But it's true. Right? And I know there are some exceptions to that. There are some men who, you know, they read and they journal and they, you know, have it sitting on their nightstand and they're very communicative and they're typically called pastors. But um, <laughs> the truth is, this, this is helpful. Like for, for us, somehow over time, we've equated someone who's a good reader with someone who is a mature follower of Jesus. But when you look at the commands of Jesus, he did not say, go into all the world and teach them how to read about me. No, he said, go into all the world, teach them to obey the things that I have commanded you. In other words, this is the mission of the church. We want to be people helping people find and follow Jesus. We want to help people discover the grace of Jesus that is free. You don't do anything to earn it. You don't have to change anything about who you are. God accepts you as is. But then he loves you too much to leave you there. Then he says, okay, now this is what it looks like to obey my commands. This is what it looks like to follow me, to put into practice my way of living life. And so the question then isn't, how much do you know? The question becomes, how much of what you know are you actually obeying? How much of what you know are you actually putting into practice? You can think about it like this. How many of you have an exercise machine of some kind at your house? Lift your hands nice and high. A lot of us, yeah. Now, do you remember how healthy you felt the day you brought that home? It was amazing, right? Like, you got that elliptical machine down into the basement, and you're like, oh, man, I feel so much healthier. How many of you have ever seen laundry hanging off of that same elliptical machine? Yeah. Because why? It's because it holds so many shirts. It's amazing, right? And the truth is that it doesn't make a lick of difference to your health that you bought the machine. But just the fact that you bought the machine makes you feel so much healthier. You're tricking yourself into thinking you're healthier because you bought the machine. I believe, I have a belief, I, I genuinely believe that uh, if I spend time working on my marriage, that I can have a good and healthy marriage over the long haul. I genuinely believe that if I invest in my kids when they're younger and spend time with them, that I can retain influence in their life as they get older. I genuinely believe that. I genuinely believe that if I eat right and exercise regularly, I can maintain health for a long time. Now, my believing does nothing for my marriage if I don't actually do it. The belief that I have that I can spend time with my kids and retain influence in their life does nothing for my relationship with my kids if I don't actually do it. My belief that I have that if I, if I can eat healthy and, and you know, move on a regular basis, that I can experience a, a relative level of health through my life, then it does nothing for me if I don't actually do it. The elliptical machine in the basement does nothing for me if I just hang laundry on it doesn't make a difference. I mean, that's why we say this all the time around here. If you can't use it on Monday, we shouldn't say it on Sunday. The goal of coming in here is not to hear something and go, oh, man, that, whew, that felt spiritual. And then walk out and go, man, I ticked that box for the week. Let's go. If that's all we're doing, then we should just skip this. We shouldn't do this. Because the goal isn't that we come in here and get loaded up with information. The goal is that we actually put it into practice. They're actually doing something with what we've heard. And James says, you hear something and you don't apply it, you're fooling yourself. You know what that means? We, we, we have a, we've turned a momentary feeling of guilt into a religious experience. So uh, we, we turn a momentary moment of conviction into a religious experience. So it's like, oh man, we, we hear a talk on, uh, on marriage and we go, ah, man, I really ought to do that. Yeah, that's good. We hear a talk on parenting and we go, oh man, that hits right here, man, that's good. That's good. You got me, preacher. It's good. 
We hear talk on generosity and we think, you know what? I really ought to do that. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to do that. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to get to that. We hear a talk on uh, forgiveness and we go, ah, yeah, man, that's good. That's so good. Definitely needed to hear that one. And then we walk out and we feel closer to God because we came to an awareness of what God wants us to do, but then we don't actually follow through. We stop there and nothing changes. In other words, we look in the mirror, we see the reality, but then you leave the mirror and you convince yourself that nothing really needs to change, but you keep going back to look in the mirror and then you walk away and nothing changes. And James says, if you do that, you're just fooling yourself. You, you go and you look in the mirror like, oh man, I really got to trim those eyebrows. Woo! And then you just walk away. Oh, wow. Look at that ear hair. Ooh. And then you just walk away. And James says, that's what we do with faith. We, we, we come to an awareness of it, but we don't do anything about it. Then you're just fooling yourself. And the primary purpose of the scriptures is not to provide information. It's to produce followers of the way of Jesus. It's to point us toward Jesus. It's to help us to become more like Jesus. If we're simply using it as a way to kind of check a box that feels spiritual, then it really we should just set it aside. Jesus did not teach to increase people's knowledge. He taught to change people's lives. He didn't just want to give them information. He wanted to lead them to relationship with him. And sometimes people confuse knowing the Bible with being spiritually mature, but they're very Two very, very different things. We've all known people who could quote the Bible 10 times better than anyone else, but they weren't 10 times more loving. They weren't becoming more like Jesus. They weren't prioritizing their faith and their time and managing their resources and loving others well. And James just puts it so simple. Don't just listen, do what it says. Don't just listen, do what it says. And here's the reality. There's times in our lives where it, we go, okay, God, I, I just, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to, I'm going to put this into practice. And it goes countercultural to the way that our society works, whether that's in marriage or parenting or the way that we handle our finances or the way that we forgive or the way that we handle integrity or ethics in our workplace. And we just go, okay, God, everything that you say about this runs countercultural to everything that the way that our culture works and operates and the way that our society works and operates. But because it's you, I trust you. So I'm going to do it your way. And James says, that's just what it means. You don't just listen, you do what it says. If you stop at listening, here's the, here's the reality. It does not change the way that God feels about you. It doesn't change God's love for you. It doesn't change the grace that's offered you. But it just allows you to deceive yourself into thinking that you have a faith that you don't actually have. A faith that James says is useless because it doesn't make a difference in your life. And then he contrasts that. He says this, but if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, he talks about this law that Jesus, he calls it the royal law, to love God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. He says, if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. God will bless you for doing it. If you will actually look intently, if you'll actually look carefully into this perfect law, uh, now, here, here's what I know. He talks about looking in the mirror and walking away and forgetting it. But if you look intently, if you really look, and I know that I, some of you might have this. I know my wife has a look carefully or a look intently mirror. It's different than the regular mirror. It sits on the side. It's got a light. And if you get this close to it, it will show you every cell in your body. <laughs> it's amazing. That's the look carefully mirror. And James says, look carefully, look and see, and then, and then put it into practice. And God will actually bless your life when you put into practice the things that he asks you to do. 
When you simply obey what you know, God will bless you, James says. Now, that needs clarification, and here's why. When we hear the word, God will bless you, we tend to see that through the lens of our 21st century American uh, viewpoint. And so for us, when we hear, oh, God, well, God will bless us, right? And we see that through the lens of American culture. So we think that means our lives are going to be great. We will prosper financially. God will protect us from harm. We'll get the front row parking spot at the mall every single time. It's just amazing. Just God's favor and blessing. Here, here's what this means. The blessing of God is peace. What does it mean when God blesses my life? It means peace. When James says that God will bless you for obedience, he's not saying everything in your life will now be great and you'll prosper and you'll never face harm and you'll march off into the sunset with health, wealth, and prosperity. That's not what he means. What he's saying is that even when the storms of life hit you, you will be able to make it through because you will have a faith that makes a difference in your life. In fact, Jesus would say it this way. He tells this story. Uh, He says, anyone who listens to my teachings and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand. And when the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. A few things that I want to point out about these verses. Number one, Jesus was clear that the only difference between the person who built their house on the rock and the person who built their house in the sand, it wasn't that one person heard Jesus' teaching and the other one was unaware. They both heard the same thing. It was about how they responded. That one of them said, I'm going to obey it. I'm going to put it into practice. And the other one said, no, I heard it, but I tricked myself into thinking that just because I heard it, it would make a difference in my life. And it didn't make a difference. So you need to know that it's not one person heard it and the other didn't. They both heard it. It was in how they chose to respond. Secondly, you need to know this. Jesus didn't say that if you build your house on the rock, if you take my teachings and put them into practice, you won't experience the storms. He said when the storms hit, when the rains came, and they will come, and when they do, when you put Jesus' teachings into practice in your life, What happens is that you're building your life on a firm foundation. You're building your life on something that will allow you the the strength and the peace to withstand when the storms come. That's the difference. The third thing is this, and this is really important. This has nothing to do with what God thinks of us. This has nothing to do with God's love for you. God's love for me. This has nothing to do with how God views you. This has nothing to do with God's offer of grace. This has nothing to do with God's offer of salvation. This has nothing to do with that. This has everything to do with how we view him and how we put our trust in him. And so there is nothing that says, if I hear the teachings of Jesus and I disregard them and I live life my own way, there's nothing that says that God doesn't still love us, that he doesn't still pursue us with his grace, that he doesn't, there's nothing that says that God writes us off. It does not change one little bit how God feels about you and me. What it does do is affect our lives. This is about how we experience life based on whether or not we obey what he asks us to do. He created life, so it stands to reason that he knows the best way for us to live our lives. He's simply asking that we trust that his way is best. And if we can do that, and if we can trust that his way is best, and if we can obey the way that he asks us to live our lives, not so that we can have relationship with him, but because we already have relationship with him, 
Not so that we can get in the family, but because we're already part of the family. If we can do that, then when the storms come, and they will come, we'll have peace. In fact, the word blessing in the Bible is really often translated as happy. And and the way to be happy, the way to experience happiness, if, if we could really say, well, what makes you happy? It isn't anything. We wouldn't point to anything external that makes us happy. What we know about happiness is that happiness is when I'm at peace. The t- happiness is when everything is going crazy around me and I just go, but I can't explain it. I, I, I'm at peace even in the midst of chaos. James says this is what happens. When you live life God's way, this is what you get to experience. God will bless you. You will experience peace even when everything about your external circumstances points to the contrary. And if your peace is easily disrupted by external circumstances, it's not a very good definition of happiness. But the way of Jesus isn't about a happiness that comes from something external and temporary. It's about a peace that can be experienced in the midst of what seems like the storms of life. Because Jesus, I took what you said and I'm putting it into practice. And even though life is chaotic and there's storms all around me, the house is standing. I'm building it on a firm foundation. And James says that if you want to experience that in your life, you should do what Jesus says. Build your life on the bedrock foundation of obedience to his ways. You do that by looking in the mirror and then actually doing something about what you see. When you become aware of something that God wants you to do, you take that next right step. Now, there's plenty of situations in our lives where we know exactly what God is asking us to do, and we have all the reasons why we just haven't done it yet. We, all of us have these things, right? Myself included. And so this is, I'm speaking to me just as much as anybody today, okay? Because when you talk from an area of weakness, you never run out of material. And so here's the deal. Uh, It's not a matter of knowing, it's a matter of doing. When you look back at some of your biggest regrets, some of your missed opportunities, it wasn't a lack of information. It was a lack of uh, submission. It wasn't a lack of knowledge. It wasn't like, God, I just just don't know what you want me to do. I wish I knew what you wanted me to do because I would do it. For most of us, it's, God, I know exactly what you want me to do, but I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that because it's going to cost me something. And most often when we do something or say something that we wish we hadn't, or we find ourselves in a situation that we wish we weren't in, it's because we made a decision to follow our way instead of God's way. And we thought we knew best in the moment. There are plenty of times where we don't need to learn another Bible verse and we don't need another teaching and we don't need to read something and we don't need more wisdom and insight and, and, you know, more knowledge. We simply need to obey what we already know. Here's a few examples. Uh, Generosity. There's a lot of us who uh, have been followers of Jesus for a very long time and we know exactly what the scriptures teach. We know exactly what Jesus teaches about generosity and how to manage our finances. We know exactly what Jesus teaches in this area. We've heard it for years. Maybe you've been to Westbridge for years. You've heard us talk about it a few times a year. And we teach on, here's what the scriptures teach about generosity and how it will not only build your faith, but it will make an impact in God's kingdom. And you'll be able to invest in things that have eternal significance around the world. And, and, and yet, uh, we have a bunch of reasons why we're not quite doing that yet. But we sure would love it if God would get involved in our finances because we don't have a lot of peace in that area. Here's another one, integrity. Uh, There's a lot of us who are longtime followers of Jesus who know exactly what Jesus teaches about honesty and integrity. But it's like, yeah, but in my field, we just don't do that. In in the area that I work, you got to understand, you just got to cut corners to get ahead. And it's not always the most ethical, but everybody in my field does this. This is just how, this is how we operate in this industry. And God, I know what your way says, but there's, I got a whole bunch of reasons why I'm not doing that yet. But I also don't have 
a lot of peace. Forgiveness. There are a lot of us who are longtime followers of Jesus, been following Jesus for years, and we know exactly uh, that we've been forgiven, that Jesus has extended forgiveness to us. And then he says, now, the thing that I've done for you, I want you to do that for others. Yeah, but Jesus, I mean, if you knew my story, I mean, if you knew what they said, if you knew what they did, if you knew the, the level of betrayal, I mean, I, that just feels like I'm just letting them off the hook. And, and, but, but we know it's not, it's not brand new information. It's as I have forgiven you, you're to forgive others. And I forgave you when you didn't deserve it. And so you're to extend to others what I've extended to you. And yet we still carry bitterness and we hold on to that because our story is different. And yet we don't have peace in that area. How about just priorities? There, there are a lot of us who are longtime followers of Jesus, and we know what the scriptures teach. We know what God is asking us to do to prioritize his kingdom above everything else, that we have an eternal mindset and we go, look, there is more to this life than this life. And so I'm not just going to think about things here and now, but I'm going to think about things through an eternal lens. And God, I'm going to prioritize you and your kingdom. So I'm going to lean in to my faith community. And I'm going to lean into the body of Christ. And I'm going to lean into community even when it's messy. And I'm going to lean in. I'm going to, I'm going to be a part of a small group. And I'm going to serve. And I'm going to do everything I can that I know to do to help build your kingdom here on earth. But instead, what a lot of us do is we kind of squeeze it into the margins of our lives and our schedules. If there is any. We allow our faith to be given the leftovers of our time and our attention and our affection. And it's not that we need more information. It's just that we kind of pursue things in this life that bring temporary pleasure. And we elevate something good to God in our lives, and then we wonder why we don't have any peace. And ultimately, here's what we got to understand. See, submission trumps information every time. Following Jesus is not about more information. It's about saying, I'm going to obey the, the, the simple things that I already know. And Jesus is, James is reminding us that faith is not simply about a belief that God exists. It's not uh, contractual or transactional. It's relational. God, I trust you enough to do what you ask me to do, and I will live how you ask me to live. With that in mind, if I truly trust God, if I have relationship with God, if I've received his grace, if I've received that, that gift freely, I didn't do anything to earn it, it ought to start making its way into my actions and my behavior. And if I hear the things that God wants me to do, but I fail to do it, it's like I'm looking in the mirror and walking away and forgetting what I looked at. I keep coming back to the mirror and saying, man, I really need to shave as my beard grows to my ankles. It's like I'm listening to what Jesus tells me to do, but I think I'm going to be the exception. And so I can actually build my house on the stand and the storm is just going to go around me. You know, this sand seems to be really firm. I'm sure that I'm the exception to this. And in either case, I'm tricking myself into believing that my, my so-called faith in God will bring me peace, and then I'm disappointed when I feel that God didn't live up to his end of the bargain. When in reality, if I will submit, if I will obey however much or however little I know, God will bless my life for doing it. And I'll take one step, one more step, one more step. So let me ask you, if you are a follower of Jesus, what is your next right step of obedience? What is the thing that you know God is asking you to do, the thing that... This is something I ought to be doing as a follower of Jesus. This is something that... And yet, for some reason, I, I've created all these reasons why I can't do it yet. But I know. I know. This is a part of what it means to follow Jesus. You don't have to pray about it. You don't need to phone a friend. You don't need more discernment. You don't need uh, more insight. You don't need more wisdom. You just need to obey the things that you already know.
And when you do, you'll discover a faith that is moving forward, a faith that is growing, a faith that is alive and making a difference in your life. And when the storms blow, and when everything seems chaotic, you'll be building your life on a firm foundation. And maybe, maybe you're here and you're watching online, you're here today, and your next right step is simply to say yes to the invitation to follow Jesus. See, you don't do anything to come to Jesus. He, God accepts you. He loves you as is. He created you as is. And even if you never say yes to him, he'll never stop pursuing you. He'll never stop loving you. When he sees you, he sees a son, he sees a daughter. And he asks you to live a certain way, not so that you can have a relationship with him, but because out of a relationship that he's already initiated, he loves you so much, he wants you to experience the best life possible. And for those of us who follow Jesus, we just go... We, we genuinely believe that God wants us to experience the best life possible and that he created life and that he knows the best way to live it. So God, even when I don't understand, I'm going to say yes to your way. I'm going to trust that your way is the best way and I'm going to do it. And James says that's a faith that makes a difference. That's a faith that isn't useless. That's a faith that moves you forward, that makes a difference in your life. And when you do that, God will bless you. And otherwise, in other words, you'll experience peace when the storms of life rage around you. And so if you're here today, you've never said yes to following Jesus, you need to know God loves you. God created you. He wants you to experience the best life possible. And you can say yes to that. You don't have to do anything to earn that. Jesus came into this world. He allowed himself to be put to death. His body was laid in a tomb. And according to multiple eyewitness accounts, he rose from the dead. And he invites you. And if you'd like to say yes, you can just agree with this prayer as we close. God, please forgive my sins. Forgive me for the times that I've walked away from you. And I, I thank you that you've never walked away from me. And I pray, make me your son, make me your daughter. And then help me. I don't have to do anything to come to you, but as, as you make a difference in my life, I pray that it would make its way into my actions, that I would put my trust in your way of living. I'd surrender my way of living to your way of living from here on out as best as I know how. And God, I pray for every one of us who are followers of Jesus. May we not have a faith that simply acknowledges your existence and, and settles for a religious experience once in a while and then goes off and, and we don't make any changes in our lives. But may we be people who take the things that we're learning and we put them into practice. That we are not just hearing what you want us to do, but we're actually doing it. And as we do that, may it move our faith forward. May, we, may our trust in you grow as we start to realize, oh, God's way is the best way. And may we become more and more like Jesus. May we make an impact in the world around us. We love you and we pray this in your name. Amen.